Good morning, Family Bible Church. How y'all doing? Good. We are starting a new sermon series this morning called Tis the Season. That's why it's on the screens. And talking about Christmas and what is exciting about Christmas and maybe some things that have gotten kind of wonky about Christmas. Is wonky a word that we can use here? Is that a wonky, wonky word? All right. So we're going to do that this morning. And then, by the way, if you've been coming to Family Bible for a while, you know we're in, the, we're, we're in a series called Marked. We're going back to that in January. So that's the plan there. Be sure to come out for that in January. Gosh, I want to say something real quick, by the way. Christmas Eve, we're going to be in a barn, which can be super cool. So plan on that too, 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. All right, that's it. Okay, enough of that. So we're going to start this new series this morning called Tis the Season, talking about maybe the way we experience Christmas and the way our culture celebrates Christmas and what, what Scripture says about Christmas. So we're going to do that this morning. Let me ask you a question. I know last week, like already, is like two weeks ago was Thanksgiving, which is crazy, right? How many of you have started your Christmas shopping? Anybody started your Christmas shopping? Yeah. How many of you are finished with your, your completely done Christmas shopping? Wow, a couple of you. Good job, right? How many of you haven't even started Christmas? Nice. There you go. Procrastinators unite later, you know? Uh, I love that. I love that. So we have this kind of season, and today what we're talking about is, is Christmas all about gift? Not as Christmas. No, I'll say that, right? But tis the season for gifts. This is a season for gifts. And I would say that if you're an outside observer to our culture, like say, say you were from a, another country or maybe even another planet, let's just say another planet for a minute, right? And you came to earth and you landed in the United States during this season, it would be hard to argue that you would not believe that the Christmas season is all about gifts, right? Like, man, we kicked it off big time um, with uh, uh, Black Friday and all that stuff. And so it would be hard to argue that that was not the case, that tis the season for gifts, no matter what, right? I mean, who, who doesn't love to give gifts? As a matter of fact, we just went through this ritual, which is a cultural ritual we've experienced now called Black Friday, right? And, and we know, and I'm not going to lament it, but Black Friday for some folks crept into um, Black Thursday night, you know what I mean? And then uh, some, uh, some didn't this year, which is kind of a radical departure. Like, we're not doing that, you know, but, but others did. And then, and then they had this thing. We were talking. I was talking to some uh, young folks, and they were talking about Cyber Monday, right? Cyber Monday. And I'm like, wait, wait, but you've you got to forget there's like a small business Saturday in there, right? Small business Saturday. You guys know what that is? Yeah. And then, and then we have uh, Cyber Monday, and then we have Giving Tuesday, what? Like there's a new thing the last five years called Giving Tuesday, and it's all kind of built around this idea of Black Friday. And the crazy thing, how many of you may think that like Black Friday is about great deals on stuff? Like crazy deals. No one believes that's true. Oh, come on. Yeah, like a few of you, right? Like that's what they, thank you, Corey. Thank you, brother. I mean, uh, some people like that's what we're talking about. The ads, like the there were like YouTube uh, reviews of Black Friday ads. Like there was videos about ads that you can read for yourself. It's just crazy, you know, where to find the best deals and people outside lined up and stuff like that. And maybe there's more going on there than we would expect. I heard the statistic that was absolutely crazy to me, man. We think about what was happening on Black Friday this year. I, I, I literally, okay, I, I heard this, and then I had to go back and look it up like two or three times because I just couldn't believe it. Like, matter of fact, I'm going to speak. I'm like, that can't be right. I looked up again. This is the statistic this year. In this year, this Black Friday, Target, our, or Target, <laughs> for you sophisticated shoppers among us, okay, uh, sold 3,200 flat panel televisions, 3,200 flat panel televisions, 
per minute the first hour of Black Friday. What? That's 200,000 flat panels in an hour from one company. That's crazy. And a matter of fact, during the Black Friday stuff, I wasn't out on Black Friday. I'm not mad about Black Friday. I just wasn't out in the chaos on Black Friday. But I caught an interview, and the CEO was talking. He was like, this is going great. And they ran that stat. And I think at the time they said, we heard you're selling 1,800 uh, flat panels per minute. You know? But then later on, they did the math. Like, oh, no, it was 3,200 a minute for the first hour. Absolutely crazy th statistic there for one company. And he was like all smiles. You know? He's like, this is going great. Uh, Black Friday is succeeding. Uh, for us. And then uh, what, what surprised me though in the interview I saw with him on Black Friday was this. And I, you know, I guess I get excited sometimes whenever, and, and this could probably be true for all of us, right? But we get so comfortable we're doing that once in a while the truth slips out. Like maybe, you know, you're, because like when you're on national network television and you're a CEO of a, of a multinational corporation, like you're trying to pick your words carefully. And this is what blew me away. He was being interviewed in this jovial spirit about what's going on on Black Friday. And they said, um, so is this good for Target that you're selling all these TVs? And he said, you know what's funny about Black Friday? Black Friday isn't the point of Black Friday. And uh, here, it, here it comes. I was like, what? You know, I mean, I know it, it is, and I knew this, right? You know this, don't you? It's not really about Black Friday. He said, Black Friday for us is about getting our guests, watch the language, right? Getting our guests, not our customers or consumers, um, in the mood to spend that's what he said, right? I'm not you know, mad about that. But I mean, he's a smart businessman. He knows if you can sell 3,200 flat panel televisions a minute for an hour, you're going to have a good season of sales. You're just getting that motor running, you know? And I mean, we had folks at our Thanksgiving dinner talking about that, you know, like what deals are going on tonight and the motor's running and people out in the middle of the night buying stuff and, and all that. You probably saw some of that stuff yourself. And he said, it's all about getting people in the mood or the mindset to spin. It's like spinning up the motor and then setting them loose. Man, he was super excited, super excited about Black Friday. And then what else was funny is, is in another interview, uh, it was the same dude, actually. It's kind of funny. They said, uh, one of the interviewers said, don't you hate it whenever you go into a store for one item, you know, and then you walk out an hour and a half later with like $200 worth of stuff? And he goes, no, I love that. <laughs> That's our plan. <laughs> you, there's a lot of good deals. You can't just come buy one thing. You have to buy armloads of stuff, man. And so this is the kind of the mentality about getting people going. And so this is really funny because I, I know I have a tendency to lament, right? And I'm going to lament this, right? Because it happens every year, and it's going to keep happening every year because it works. As a matter of fact, this whole idea, well, wait a minute, what about Small Business Saturday? You know what Small Business Saturday was? It was like all the mom and pops going, Where's our love? You know, we can't offer a flat panels for 100 bucks. We can't make it like that. And so the Chamber of Commerce and stuff came together and said, hey, let's do a small business Saturday where you spend all day Saturday supporting local businesses, which is awesome to do. We should support local businesses. But they did it because it works, right? That's why we do it. It works. Yeah, small business Saturday. So I shop Friday. I shop Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. Um, so far, nothing on Sunday, except I do believe a few companies kind of rolled Cyber Monday back into Sunday this year. So you had Cyber Sunday, Monday happening. You know, I don't want to miss a day there. And that's happening. And then uh, Cyber Monday, which we all know about that. That's the late Johnny Come Lately, which was working, I think, before small business Saturday. Okay, are you confused? And then wait a minute. Giving Tuesday. <laughs> Giving Tuesday. Like, whenever all, and you know why that happens? And I, I, we didn't send out anything. We don't. And I'm not saying that, like, again, a lot of, a lot of organizations do. You might have got, you know, kind of emailed and encouraged and prompted to give into your giving and stuff like that. 
But isn't it funny that even, now listen to me, even organizations that are not for profit, they are not in the business of making money, can't quite resist the urge to get on the action with, you know, Giving Tuesday, right? Like, matter of fact, I've heard some people say, uh, I felt so bad about what I did with Black Friday and Cyber Monday that I gave generously on Tuesday. That's kind of like um, eating an apple make up for the cookie that you had yesterday, you know. I'm not sure that works, but that's what happened, you know. And again, I'm not mad at anybody because guess what? The reason that nonprofits do it is because it works. Because it works. If it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. And so they're like, yeah, we'll put a caboose on it of giving. So here's, you know, all the spending, 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 and then the caboose of giving. Of course, we know, though, this whole season is going toward consuming. How about this, though? Do you think there's anyone besides, you know, you know maybe me and some others who are like, ah, oh, well, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. I mean, you hear some people saying that this is crazy. But one of the, and I really debated on whether to talk about this or not at, at church, but with y'all, um, but uh, I feel compelled to. <laughs> there's this crazy thing called the holiday hole. Has anybody heard of the holiday hole? No, none of you have heard of holiday hole? Okay, so there's this company, which is kind of a renegade company, and they, they have a card game. I'm even remiss to mention it, but it might be called Cards Against Humanity. I've not played it. It's, it's crazy and appropriate. I'm just putting it out there. So, like, don't go say, oh, Pastor Bill said we should play Cards Against Humanity. Uh, I don't want to hear that later. But these folks have kind of been thinking how, now this is not what you'd expect. These aren't people you'd expect to go, this is nuts. What's happening with our culture? They aren't necessarily the cultural watchdogs, you know? And they, they thought, this is crazy. What's happening on, on, on Black Friday and, and uh, Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday is crazy. And so they decided to dig a hole for the holidays. They decided to dig a hole for the holidays. And not only did they decide to dig a hole for the holidays, but they decided to let all of you, well, obviously not you, but all of the people who love them pay for the hole. What? They're going to dig a hole and you're going to pay for it. That kind of sounds like a campaign promise, doesn't it? I'm going to dig a hole, and you're going to pay for it. Listen to me now. <laughs> so, so they start digging this hole. And I, I found this on YouTube. It was a live stream on YouTube. And I'm going, what in the world? They got heavy equipment, those big trucks driving, those Tonka trucks, like they're real-sized Tonka trucks. And they're driving around this thing, and they're digging this hole. And you're thinking, what in the world is happening? What is happening? I want to read you the, the FAQ on Holiday Hole. I think that, because I think it's really funny and telling that they were kind of like that overt about what they were doing with the Holiday Hole. Maybe you would call it parody of life. That there are those out there who don't necessarily have a particular bent about the season who go, this is ridiculous. What's happening? Check it out. Frequently asked questions on the Holiday Hole. What is happening here? Cards Against Humanity is digging a Holiday Hole. That's the answer. Uh, is this real? Unfortunately, yes. Where's the hole? It's in America and also in our hearts. That's what they said. Is, is there some sort of deeper meaning or purpose to this hole? Nope. <laughs> what do I get if I contribute money to the hole? You get a deeper hole. And what else are you going to buy? An iPod? Why aren't you giving all this money to charity? Listen to their answer. Why aren't you giving all this money to charity? This is your money, not ours. Is the hole bad for the environment? Nope. This was a bunch of empty land before, and now there's a hole. That's life. How am I supposed to feel about this? Well, you're supposed to think it's funny. 
but you might not think it's funny right now. But sometime next year, you're going to quietly chuckle to yourself and remember this whole business about the hole. How deep can you make this sucker? That's a great question. As long as you keep spending, we'll keep digging, and we'll find out how deep this hole will go. And what if you dig a hole so deep you hit hot magma? At least then we will finally feel something. What? Guess how much the holiday hole raised? Somebody give me a number. No? That would be aggressive. Who? No one? Did you know that? 100,564 dollars. Listen to me. People from all around the world gave $100,000 to dig a hole in the ground that has absolutely no purpose. And you know what? I think that is actually not as funny as what we do as a culture. That's even funnier. Like, I, I kind of respect what they did. They, they, they're like, this is so ridiculous. So let me ask the question. Is this the season for gifts? Is this the season for gifts? I think that it is. I think that it is. And so today I want to have us look. We're going to be kind of these next three weeks looking over different parts of the birth narrative of Jesus. Now let me lay some groundwork. Not necessarily in order, but in order that we could think about what we're doing as a culture and why. And maybe what the Bible says we should be doing or what's been done. So check it out. If you want to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to pick up again 9 through 12. So pretty brief this morning. We're going to hear the story you've probably heard before. We're going to talk about it in a little detail and find out, is this the, is this the season for gift giving? It certainly seems that it is. This is what the word says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Jumping down now to verse 9. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. It's the word of the Lord. So this idea that to lament gifts isn't appropriate because there's this very specific story about these wise men who did bring gifts at Christmas in this season. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so I, I want to just kind of talk through this a little bit as we read the word of God. That, that this is, of course, after he's born. It says that right, right away there. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. I want to talk just for a minute about these Magi, right? Magi is such a funny word. Like, Magi, what does that even mean? Sometimes biblical words can seem harder than they are. You might have heard it referred to as wise men. Sometimes they say the wise men came uh, from the east. But Magi were really like magicians or sorcerers. You think, well, that's pretty crazy. That's in the Bible, right? But that's, they had an ability that was beyond natural in some way. They had some ability that was extraordinary to their peers. 
they were men who had been set apart because they were seers of truth. They were seers of visions. They were interpreters of dreams. And they had come from the east, which is helpful to us because they tell us a couple things here, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea and during the time that they came to Jerusalem from the east. And this struck me as interesting this week as I studied this, that the east would have been Persia, which is modern-day Iran. So I just want to lay a little mental image here. You have wise men, seers, coming from Persia, which is modern-day Iran, to Jerusalem to ask where the king of the Jews might be. That's where they're coming to pursue him. Now, some of us said, very, very um, functionally, well, these guys are astronomers because there's a star involved in the story, right? They said, we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. But the, the truth is that primarily they are, they are like spiritual seers. They were to help the king. As a matter of fact, their lineage is the lineage of Daniel, which is the Old Testament prophet, Right? And you remember Daniel was an interpreter of dreams. I mean, we hear the great stories about Daniel in the furnace or Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel who is, who's kind of got this, I'm only to worship God and then he won't worship the king and then the king needs him to interpret his dreams and so he keeps sparing his life and trying to kill him and sparing his life. And so these, these wise men, these magicians, these sorcerers from the east, from Persia, would have probably known those stories for sure about Daniel, the prophecies that he had made, the things that were coming and they were always watching. They were always vigilant in that work. I love, of course, we talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I love they, they said, when they show up in Jerusalem, looking for the king of the Jews, right, they say, we have come to worship him. That's why we've made this journey. By the way, let's talk about the journey for a minute. It had been about 800 miles or so from Persia to Jerusalem, Right? I don't know how fast you drive, but 800 miles takes a while, right? I mean, so in that time, this would have been an extraordinary journey. I mean, maybe you say, okay, it's ordinary. They can do it. Yeah, they can do it, but it's going to take a while. It's not something you do flippantly. It's not something that happens super fast. As a matter of fact, because of the time it would take for them to travel to see Jesus, there's a couple of clues we're going to get from the text here, that this is probably a while after his birth, this wasn't a journey that they were like there, you know, we got this, you know, the thing with the nativity where they're like right there the night and the baby pops in and like, woo, here we are, the gifts, and it all happens in an instant. But the truth is that it took them a while to make that journey to bring these gifts to Jesus. And so we have these, these, um, these wise men traveling to see Jesus. By the way, let me, let me ask you a question. How many wise men were there? There's a numbers kind of a sermon today. How many wise men were there, do you think? Three. Any other numbers? Everyone agrees? Three? Oh, Dean does not agree? Anyone else not agree? Not, not three? How many? What? Of course we know. There's three. We, we have their names and everything, right? Dean, you messed up my whole sermon, man. Wait. <laughs> I mean, I've read their names before. Yeah. Guess what? The Bible doesn't say there's three wise men, three camels, three magi. You know what the, what the Bible says? There's three gifts. And you know what we think? Well, that's one gift per person. <laughs> you know? Because you don't want to be the guy showing up at Jesus' birth empty-handed. Who's that guy? Or what if there's two? 
and one guy's carrying two gifts. He's like the one-upper. You know, one guy's like, here's your gold. And he's like, I got frankincense and myrrh. You know what I mean? Really, Todd, you brought two gifts for Jesus? There's, but we do know there's more than one. We do know there's more than one because it's plural. We don't know how plural how many. It could have been 50. could have been five. could have been 10. could have been 12. Who knows, right? Isn't it funny how we assume that these narratives, like, yeah, there's got to be three, right? And there is even tradition where it names names, but it's non-biblical tradition. The three names of the three wise men that brought the three gifts to Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? So we don't really know. Great job, Dean. Awesome. So we don't really know how many there are. All right, I want to talk about the gifts now. So we're going to jump down to uh, verse 9. After they heard the king, and by the way, not the king they were looking for. They heard from the other king they weren't looking for. That king came and got upset about it. Whole other thing there. But after they, they left the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east, they actually had risen in the east. That's what it means. It was, it was breaking through in the east. Went on ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, I want to spend just a second on verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, wait a minute. Didn't they show up in Jerusalem and say, we came here following a star? Like, I never noticed that. That was crazy to me. So they, they, they come from Persia or from Iran to head to Jerusalem, and they're coming over looking for the king of the Jews. But somehow when they get to Jerusalem, it seems there's no, the star is not visible. Because in verse 10, when they see the star again, they're overjoyed, right? They came in asking for directions. Does anyone know where this guy's at? Uh, we know he's been born. We saw the star. Give us some directions. And they're pointed to Bethlehem. But here they go. When they leave the king, Herod, and they head toward the king, Jesus, they see the star, and they're overjoyed. There it is again. I think that's what it's like. I think they were on a journey following the star, and they're so excited to talk, and it's taken them maybe like, what, weeks, months to make this journey? And then all of a sudden, they're like, wait, what happened? It's just gone. Well, let's go to Jerusalem and find out. And then they're like, man. And then you got somebody saying, you know, go left at the tree stump. And you're like, what? And then you go over there and you don't know where you're at. And all of a sudden, there it is. There's the star. Let's go. The other thing I will say is this, this star was actively moving ahead of them. It was a heavenly light. You, you know, you see that. You think it was like a star in the sky, like, boop, you know, like we navigate ships. But it was this light that was shining forth, shining down that they could walk. And here you get the imagery. All of a sudden, this is very much about a God thing. Do you, do you remember the uh, Israelites when they would follow God in the desert? It was what? Smoke by day and fire by night. I mean, there's this kind of connection happening here. I mean, these guys were raised up in that tradition of Daniel, of the Old Testament, the First Testament, and they begin to see this revelation from God. Oh, this is it. This is the star. We're on the right track. And they follow the star to the place where Jesus is laying. Isn't that interesting? One, one final point here. Um, they were overjoyed. And on verse 11, when they came into the house, um, we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but this idea of where Jesus is born and where he is now. So this gives us another marker of the time. Not just the distance it took, 800 miles, 900 miles to travel to see Jesus for them, but that by now he's in a, a ho an oikos, a house, a household. He's being cared for in a different way. And again, I want to be clear. I'm not mad about nativities. We have an awesome nativity at our house. We have a couple of them, actually. We love them. But it's funny how we kind of take that as gospel truth, and we don't even read the stories to see what the scriptures say. So when they came into the house, check it out, they beheld the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down. I've talked about this before with y'all fell down face on the ground, and they worshiped him, man. Their primary goal, their primary mission was accomplished in worship. Did you see that? 
Like, I know we're going to get to the gifts, and we all know the story about the gifts, but isn't it ironic that how many, do you have the nativity sets at home? In our nativity set, we got one dude on his knee, and the rest of them are standing like, what is happening? And there's three of them. Of course there's three of them, right? But the one dude is down. But what the scriptures say is when they walked into the house and they saw Jesus and they knew this was the fulfillment of the prophecy and they knew this was the king who was coming, the king of the Jews, that the Jews didn't even know. Herod's upset about. He doesn't even know who this is, you know, what's going on with this Jesus guy, where he's at. They fall down and they worship him. Their primary mission is met. Oh, wait. <laughs> so, you mean... You, I'm just going to talk to you as Christians, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you mean you could have an absolutely fulfilled Christmas season holiday if what we did is we took a really long, slow walk toward Jesus, and when we got there, we fell down on our face, and we worshiped him. Mission accomplished. Christmas has happened. And I, man, I get it. That is an, a non-cultural message. Because we've got all this other stuff that's so cool and fun. And I love it. But the primary goal, these wise men from the East, was to worship Jesus. They set out to worship him. They told the king they wanted to worship him. They met him and they worshiped him. Mm. Then, after that, how long did that last? We don't know. How long did they lay in our face before Jesus? We don't know. It says at that point, then they opened their hearts, right? They opened their treasures, and they laid them for Jesus. We'll talk about that a little bit. They laid them down for Jesus. The first gift is gold. Gold. Isn't that interesting? I don't know uh, if you think about Christmas gifts. I don't know how many of you on your list this year have gold. Anybody have gold on your Christmas list? None of you? Olivia does. <laughs> that would be a smart move for you. Yeah. Go. Let me ask you a question. What possible good could gold be to anyone? Support his family with gold. You can do that? Can you do that today? Can you support your family with gold today? If someone gave you gold? Did anybody see the story about the guy who stole the $1.86 million bucket of gold off the truck? That little dude running away with it, that thing weighed more than he did. What? And yeah, I thought, when I saw him, I'm like, what's that guy going to do with, what was it, like 80-something pounds of flake gold? And then I realized, whatever he wants. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. <laughs> if you have a five-gallon bucket of gold, yeah, you can do some stuff with that. Isn't it funny that we think about these three gifts, the gold is the one that's like, the only one I think of, when I think of it, maybe it's just me, guys, but when I think of it, the only one I think of it going like, ah, you know, like, you brought gold, you know. I think about the tabernacle being covered in gold, and the, the, uh, the lampstands were golden, and the, the uh, cherubim were golden over the Ark of the Covenant. You know, gold was this point of honor. I, I mean, I get the theology of it, right? It's this, it's, it's, um, there's so much about gold that, that, that's unique. I mean, it's beautiful. And get this, now hear me, 2,000 years later, it still works. If somebody gave me gold for Christmas, I'd be like, cool, gold. I can use it, you know? Isn't that crazy? We get that as a gift. Yeah, so they brought gold, showing honor, showing value, showing treasure. 
opening up something that, that would, would mean something to them too, by the way. They would, have, they would see value in this, what they gave away. It wasn't just like, here, I don't want it. You know? It's like, oh, this, it, uh, just, that's for you. All right, so the second, the second gift we have is what? Frankincense. Frankincense. Frankincense always confused me. Anybody else confused by frankincense? I'm always like, what's frankincense, you know? The key is in the word. It's incense. It's right there in it. I never knew that before. Do you might know that? Frankincense is incense. You ever seen incense, like an incense stick so you can burn in a house? You know, you got, you, got, you got those smelly wax candle things you can smell in an incense, you know? You got potpourri stuff. It, it's a fragrant uh, offering. So I started digging around looking because I wanted to know, because I really did. I wanted to think, like, okay, so we're talking about gifts. Is this the season for gifts, for gift giving? Now we got gold, and we get gold. Yeah, gold, that's a great gift. But if somebody gave me frankincense, I'd be like, what? what's frankincense? <laughs> what? Why? You know? Get this. I was looking into this a little bit. Frankincense, the way they harvest it. Does anybody know how they harvest it? They have this one, this, this family of trees, and in the tree, they take a knife, a special knife, and they cut a bark. They harvest this by hand. Still to this day, it's harvested by hand, frankincense. Because you got to know what you're doing. You'll kill the tree. And you, you cut the tree, and then once you cut the bark off the tree, the tree starts to bleed or to have sap that comes out that's white. It's kind of like gooey. You know, you've seen sap. You get sap in your clothes, sap on your car. You're all aggravated about it, right? Same stuff, but it's for this one tree. And then after the sap comes out, these are, by the way, these are, of course, are found in the desert regions. This is the Middle East thing, right? Frankincense. Then, then whenever it, it crystallizes, it hardens into tiny crystals on the tree. The purpose of the crystals is to retain the water for the tree. The danger in getting cut is the tree will, will, will bleed out water. And it's a desert, so it kind of makes a little blood patch on itself. A week later, you come back with another tool and you begin to scrape off, scrape off the crystals off the tree. I just think that's fascinating. This is a gift that came to Jesus. A gift from a tree in Persia where it was handcrafted, where it was cut into, it bled out, it was you know, chipped off into a bowl and saved. I thought, well, that's cool enough. Then I found out that they try to go deeper into the crystals the second time and the third time, and they say the third is the most valuable frankincense. It, it, it's not quite, it's a little more yellow than white, but it has the most arom aromatic, is that right? Uh, smell, has the most po poignant effect, it's the most beautiful of the frankincense, and it's three layers deep. One little number for you, one little number for you. They said, you can only harvest from this tree about seven times a year. Or kill it. So seven times you get to do this to this tree. And you have to be an expert to know how to do it without hurting the tree too badly. And the tree will keep producing frankincense. 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 And then it's brought, and the reason it would be used, it had a couple purposes. One was incense. You could burn it. It would smell good. It was kind of used for romance, which is kind of awkward. You know, I don't know why you bring it to a baby. Like, here you go, <laughs> you know. Um, but that's one use. But the other use for frankincense is actually um, for preparing bodies for burial. You, you bring that, and, and they did with Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. And whenever they came to the tomb with Jesus to prepare his body, they took his body down, they brought frankincense to prepare his body. A lot of it. To cover him. So it has this uh, great smell. Um, it has this, um, this uh, another property we don't really maybe even know fully. 
Now get this. So I think, well, what would you do with frankincense as a gift? What would you do with it? I told you you could burn it for an odor, for a smell in your house. You could uh, uh, prepare a body <laughs> for burial. I don't know why you want to. That's a weird gift. Here, here's a weird connection. They're selling frankincense again. Now, I guess they probably never stopped. They sell it as an essential oil. And all these folks who are just crazy about essential oils say, I love frankincense. I love it. Some people burn it kind of as a recognition of Jesus in, in the season. They burn it during the holidays to remind them of this gift to Jesus. But here it is, back on the scene, essential oils, and people just swear, oh, I love frankincense. It smells so good. It's, it's, it's hand-harvested in the Middle East. <laughs> you can even buy a tree and try to grow it yourself if you want to. I find that fascinating. They brought it to Jesus, this beautiful, fragrant, listen to me, this fragrant offering to the king of the Jews. This fragrant offering that would be used for pleasure and for times of deep grief. Interesting. The third gift then, of course, is myrrh. Again, the one I don't know what we'd have any use for. And myrrh is just nothing more than an anointing oil. It has an olive oil base. Most of you probably have olive oil in your kitchen cupboard, right? It's an olive oil base with great bunch of spices, and it's very, very poignant, very um, potent. And, and, uh, and myrrh was used, um, I may have misspoke actually, myrrh maybe was used for the burial of the bodies. Get this, this gift of myrrh. I mean, I'm just trying to help a little here, right, the season, these gifts. But, like, again, I never understood it, never understood it. Do you know that throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he was repeatedly, repeatedly anointed with myrrh, with, with the most pleasant of aromas. Another way you might have heard it referred to is as a, um, uh, <laughs> as a perfume. Do you remember when the lady broke her perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair? Same idea. This anointing oil. So over and over and over again, Jesus' life, his ministry, this, this oil is represented in in his ministry and life. So let me ask you this. How long did they have those gifts before they got to Jesus? Like, what do you think? Do we, do we know? I mean, I guess we don't, we don't officially know. <laughs> Fake baby's got to leave. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I like to think that they took these, uh, these gifts from the beginning and just kind of carried them with them. They could have got them in Jerusalem, I suppose. I suppose. He had this idea, though, of, of a long journey, of an expectant desire. And listen, as a response to worship, as a response to worship, it's not, hey, I'm going to Jesus' house to give him some presents. It's, I'm going to Jesus' house to worship him. And you get there, and you're worshiping Jesus, and you're just like, and here's my stuff, Jesus. Here's some stuff I would love for you to have. Here's some stuff I put aside for you, I want for you to have. All right, fair enough. So there are gifts in the season. But wait a minute. Do you think that Jesus needs our gifts? Have you ever heard that said? Give your best gift to Jesus at Christmas. 
you know? Um, bring your gifts to Jesus. It should be his gifts under the tree. Why are your gifts under his birthday tree? I've heard this stuff before, right? Like, do you think the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the prophesied one, the Holy One of Israel needs gold and frankincense and myrrh or whatever we are bringing to him? You think? I want to share with you uh, two texts as we close this morning. And the first, because this is about what the church should be about, what the church should be doing. And the first is from the book of Acts. I'm going to find it here. Yeah, Acts 20, verse 35. Paul, well, this would be, this would be Luke, right? He says, well, this is Paul, right? Now I commit to you. Let me see here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so this is what he says. I'm going to start in like 32. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Look at that. He, I need for nothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So he's not just working for his own stuff, but for everyone else around him. And he says this. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I want to say something, and I just want to say it maybe, I don't know, is this fair? In our credit-induced, quick, cheapest thing you can buy for somebody, look at the deal I got, and I do it, man. Look at the deal I got on this. It doesn't cost us much. And, and, and Paul here makes this case. says, man, my own hands, I worked hard for the things that I gave away. And the greatest gift I gave was my service to others. I served with my own hands. I provided for others, and I brought gifts. And it's in that context. You've probably heard before, it's more blessed to give than receive. You've heard that before. I've heard that before. But it means it costs you something. You carried it for a long time. It was a treasure to you. As a matter of fact, I would even say, and I think it's true for Paul, he opened it in a, as a response to his worship. Not in and of itself. The gift has no value, but he opens it af after meeting Jesus. He says, my life for yours. My life for your people. So he says, it's hard work. And it's more blessed to give than receive. Jesus taught us these things. Unless you think it's just Paul, I want to show you in the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus. I got to get there myself. One second. And it's in verse uh, 20, I believe. Yeah. Verse 20, uh, or chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. I'm going to back up just a little bit. I always do this, right? I'm sorry. 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, and Jesus called them together and said, this is by asking, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to be the greatest? They said, give me your right, your left seat, right? Here's what he says. The Gentiles lorded over others, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But this should not be the way it is with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. And get this, whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. This is the same idea that we are serving people. We are journeying people. We're worshiping people. And then look at what he says. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, what we get a little bit backwards here about Christmas 
is that we think it's about the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, or we think it's about our presence under his birthday tree, or we think it's about something that we're getting wrong in that. But the truth is that Jesus came for us. He came for us. And he came to bring the greatest gift we could ever have. And if we lose sight of that as the people of God, if we lose sight of all the craziness and all the manipulation going on in our culture, we lose sight of the fact that he gave the greatest gift of all in himself. And in fact, these gifts that he receives are signs of his greatness or signs of his sacrifice. Then we're totally missing the point. Completely missing the point. The greatest gift, and we've said it before, is that this baby born of a virgin unwed mother to an unsure father in a terrible situation was king of kings and was destined to die on the cross that we might be free to give his life. One more thing I marvel at this week. If we think about the birth of Jesus, I want to put this in your minds. We got a few ladies among us who are pregnant with child. It's not as if. It's not as if. Jesus just suddenly popped into a manger. But the Holy Spirit of God chose in his sovereignty to knit together in the womb of Mary a baby, an embryo, if you like that language, in the womb that would grow and manifest and be birthed into the world in the way that Kristen talked about today with all the mess and the craziness that's involved that we might know him because he is like us. See, we make it so clean. He's in the manger, the hay is perfect, the face is glowing, it's beautiful. But he was in his mother's womb. The king of kings. What a glorious gift. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to invite you to pray. And I don't know what you, and I'm, I mean, I can't say enough. I'm not mad about it. I just want to talk about it. Like, do we, do we want to look at this differently? Do we want to think differently? What is the season? What's the point? You want to get a little uncomfortable and up in some things we've been thinking for a while. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that you would care enough for us that you would send your word who has been beside you for eternity's time to come into this earth in the form of a baby and even more in the form of an embryo knit together as the first um, beginning of life in her womb. And as we remember these gifts, Father, may we never forget the great sacrifice, all the times that, that people came and poured perfume on Jesus and said, he's worthy, he's worthy. And then the people around say, for what? Much like us. Worthy of what? Father, would you help us to worship you? Would you help us to be in awe of you this Christmas season? Would you help us to stand back, just try to get some distance and perspective and say, ah, uh, what are we doing? Father, help us to be authentic followers, seekers, and worshipers of you. May you be glorified. May you, may you give us opportunities this season. May you give us uh, uh, just relationships and you know, just engagements that would matter, that we could express the ultimate value, not of the tree and the trimmings and the food and the stuff, but of Jesus who has given for us. Help us to do it. Help us to get our minds right, Father. We love you so much. We thank you. 
the truth of your word, the ridiculousness of our sin, the grace that covers all of that and calls us forward. May you be glorified as we follow Jesus together. We pray in his name. Amen.